All right, that was better. Uh, all right, Gucci, Gucci. All right. Welcome. I didn't hear you thinking. Fuck. <laughs> We're gonna keep I, that I, intro. I, no, no, no. Uh, no, no. <laughs> welcome to the No Name Podcast. Today, the episode of today, the first episode, will be about the Crucible. It's a really interesting story, and it's me, Fahad, and my co-host, Gavin. All right, so. Today, we will talk about the Crucible, as mentioned earlier. We will start with an introduction, and then uh, after that, it will lead to the summary of the Crucible and things like that. So, would you like to take it, my co-host, Gavin? Sure. So, uh, the Crucible. Re- really basic uh, sort of background here. It's based on the Salem Witch Trials, which happened in the uh, late 1600s, and it- it's... This whole uh, idea of the these people sort of prosecuting each other based off of if they thought they were witch or not in the these Puritan colonies where they were like super Christian and all that. So if you weren't doing anything Christian, then you were probably a witch. And from there, it led to a whole sort of snowball of Sounds accurate. are you a witch or are you not? And it was <laughs> pretty bad. If you ain't. Going to church, you ain't loving Jesus. <laughs> okay, so yeah, um, Salem Witch Trials. What do you think about the story in general? So, like, first thoughts. What are you expecting whenever you read the title, oh, or like based on previous yeah, knowledge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So before I read it, I, I was sort of expecting a um a sort of. Mm-hmm. I, I got. I, I was expecting it to be a bit more violent okay. than it was. I, I was expecting it to be like because, like, when you hear about the Salem witch trials, you expect the whole sort of like hanging and like yeah. even some people mix up the Salem witch trials for the French Revolution with the beheading and stuff, mm. and, and like yeah. or or the whole like the drowning with rocks and like the whole idea behind like if you I mean, if you drown then you're 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 a uh, you're like a you're not a witch but if you if you float then you are a witch so either way you're yeah. you're dead <laughs> because yeah it makes yeah or you <laughs> so, so it's kind but of stupid I, yeah i can see the misunderstanding i mean they're all with witches and really if you're not into that probably don't know a lot about it, it it's really just extreme paranoia which mm-hmm. is it's, it gets kind of uh it, it makes you think like because you know, a lot of people these days, they'll, or a lot of older people will uh-huh. always say like, like, oh, everybody in the previous generation was smarter. But it's like, obviously, hey, this is a great example of why that, that isn't yeah. true. And I mean, if you look at stats and data, it shows totally the opposite. Yeah, yeah. The exactly. highest. Yeah, I know what you mean. Exactly. But, um, yeah. I really thought the story was going to be, not trying to spoil anything, but I thought it would be a lot more enticing. And exciting, more action packed. So yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, a lot. Exactly, more action dense and packed. You know, yeah. um, but I mean, the beginning and everything, all the way until Act Three. No spoilers. Was great, but after that, just you know, just fell down. It was, it was foreshadowed a lot in the play, or there were some clues given, so you, you were able to catch them. Probably mm-hmm. knew the ending already. Yeah. You can technically know the ending, like since. Act one. It's really casual, um, but yeah. 
It's really cool Let's go. That, honestly. Yeah, it, it's a lot similar. We'll talk about this later, but it's, it's a lot similar to the writing that a lot of other mm. writers did back then. But um, by the way, I think that this was written in like the 50s, right? Yeah, 50s, I believe. Well, I believe right 50s. Around so, somewhere around there. Right, where right communism around where was communism really was considered really bad. Yeah, yeah, communism. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, really, there's nothing for them to write about. I believe there isn't. Well, I mean, they usually write about um, current events and how you can relate it to something fictional. Where it's like, oh, have you ever seen those? Like, this movie's not real, but it's obviously it's real based yeah. on something. But they just don't, don't want to say that. Um, yeah, I believe the story was... I mean, it was shown that they're talking about commies and all that. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was interesting. I mean, because I, yeah, 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 it's a, it's a bit different because like, like I feel like if you're because you're from another country, but like I feel like if you're from another country, like the anti-communism in America is a little bit ridiculous and a little bit over the top, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I, noticed. I, I feel uh, like we could go on a different tangent about that all day. But... Yeah, I've noticed something like here. It's 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 really planted, or um, that, that might not be the best word. But it's really engraved into yeah, people's minds. I, I know what you're saying, yeah. It's more like a a belief that you can't touch or can't attack, rather than a topic or an opinion that might you can like exchange or go for the better one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the summary of the whole general thing. So Act One, it opens up with Abigail and a couple of the uh, youngins in the, the little youngins. Puritan colony. Mm-hmm. And they're all dancing in the forest, a little bit nude. And I think they're called by uh, they're called by Tituba, right? Tituba, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's brought up with uh, Reverend Paris, which was played by lovely Trey in our class. And lovely Trey. And then from there, there's a little bit of paranoia going around. There's a little bit of um, this. Um, this idea that because of the fact that they were dancing naked and because of the fact that they were acting out and doing this weird thing that most Puritans don't do that they're yeah. they're witches and because right around this time that's right around this time is when the uh, the whole the whole witch sort of era was just going down in Europe yeah so it was hitting the United States and the colonies a bit now. So everybody was scared that they were witches because they're doing this weird thing that most of the Puritans didn't do. Even though, mm. even though it was really just them having a good time, I guess. Gale and, time. And yeah. 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 They, they, they're, they're, they're being a little bit different. A bit different, you know, just yeah, casual. So therefore having a good time because casual girls pillow, pillow battle party and, you know, and it's good sleepover. to point out that this whole little gathering of uh chicks dancing in the woods naked mm-hmm. is um it's led by this girl named abigail and she abby ends up, abby she ends up really being the main antagonist of the whole thing and, and it, it really shows later and even now and yeah yeah Really, I believe. Who would you say Abigail 
was representing, let's say, because De- Arthur Miller was definitely trying to resemble like either ideologies or people into yeah, the story by yeah. using characters. Who do you think Abigail represented in like back in their day, or like uh, an ideology, a character? Who do you? Th- what, what do you think about that? Well, I think Abigail personally. Um, at first, she kind of just seemed like this naive girl. She, she, you kind of mm-hmm. felt bad for her. Almost. Yeah, felt, I agree. You felt bad that she was in the situation that she was, especially with the background Definitely. that you were. Yeah, the background that we were given. With, in, before the play shows, it, it was saying that uh, she she had gotten caught up with some stuff with John Proctor. Basically, mm. like she had an affair with him, and he already had a wife, but she was really young. So yeah, you might might you so probably misjudge. They were both screwed from the beginning. So like you, yeah. you felt bad for her, right? But um, it probably you, feels like uh, you misjudge Proctor at the beginning because like you might think of him as an adult and how he slept with a young girl and all that. You mm-hmm. probably think like, oh, Abigail is the innocent one here, and then Proctor is, you know, the bad guy, the bad dude, the stranger, danger. Yeah, I think yeah. everybody could say that they felt like that. Like, like, like at first you feel like you feel bad for Abigail, but you feel you you don't feel bad for John Proctor. You feel like it's like mm. he had a wife, he had a loving wife, and he was in a Puritan society, and he shouldn't have gotten involved in some of the stuff that he did with Abigail. And yeah. And then you feel like Abigail just get right from the beginning. She gets caught in this whole witch thing. And it's totally not her fault. But you quickly learn at the end of Act 1 and the beginning of Act 2 that she's very at fault. And she's sort of manipulative. And she, she sort of has this... not Maybe she didn't plan it all perfectly, but like you have this idea that she had a greater idea with this whole dancing naked in the woods thing like they're, they're, she didn't just do it for you know whatever she she had an idea and she was she's trying to do something with it. it while john proctor was actually just living his own life like he he wasn't trying yeah. to do anything and he was just trying to be on his own yeah i mean so, he owned his own farm he was i mean he had kids and wife and a happy life and everything but yeah, so so I think that's really good on the writer to do that to make you to make to take the hook and hook you in with this idea of like you you know like this John Proctor guy bad Abigail good and yeah. like you think you're gonna have this whole dilemma between them two like that, but it turns out to be the opposite. So it ends up being a good early twist, and then they end up giving you some more. But... Yeah, I would say it was a big, really big twist that shifts a lot of. Uh... It feels like it puts you into the mindset like oh there are a lot of things. That you might think there's something, but they'll turn out to be something different. Mm-hmm. It's like the way you misjudge people, I guess. That's what he was maybe trying to convey, or like don't judge a book by its cover. Or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, it feels mm-hmm. So like I feel like that's pretty much act one by itself. I mean I mean there's a little bit with Reverend Paris. Reverend Paris is the uh uh he he's the father of Abigail because Abigail's parents died i think or like i believe a, they died to the indians if i'm not mistaken yeah 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 you're right you're right yeah they died to the indians and uh he kind of just held her into his family and he he sort of he sort of yeah. for me he feels a lot like giles in a way like where it's like he, he's really? an old man that's that really doesn't care about what's like not not doesn't care but like he's sick of it he's sick of this crap that people are giving him and really, I think so. Up. I really do think that they're similar in that way. Even even the Reverend isn't the 
maybe not as like uh, Giles obviously ends up a martyr. We'll get to that later, but um, but I feel like they're similar in that way where that where they're old and they get a lot of crap for stuff, but when they're really just they're just trying to live yeah. day by day while everybody else is trying to start some stuff up. If that makes sense. That does make sense. I, I see what you mean now. I wouldn't go as much as say he's similar to Giles, but I, I see where you're coming from. Um, personally, I did not like Reverend Hale since the beginning. It felt like he was a... How do I describe it? Like an old, nosy man. Um, yeah, maybe yeah. gets uh, somewhat annoying and then likes to interrupt and do all that. Yeah. Like, It felt like he wanted power just so he can um, abuse it against people, if I may say. like That's why he wanted to be... Would, be, would it be equivalent to like a mayor of the city? Would you yeah, say? yeah, because, like, because he not only was he head of the church, he was kind of he had a lot of influence. I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it felt like he he wanted power because oh, I'm not sure, but it felt like um, he wanted to have power just to control people, not as much as to help or be helpful to the community. Yeah, and then we start to get that get into that with Act Two with the whole power idea, and it's this whole obsession with the power with the uh, Putnams and the nurses, right? Where, yes. Where, uh, the one's jealous of the other because kids and land and all that stupid stuff, and and because of their jealousies, it starts it starts up so much more drama and conflict in this society. And mm, yeah, it, it, this whole this whole play and this conflict was really just like just ready to explode from the beginning once you really see it and once you get the background of yeah the arthur miller or the author of this the crucible really mm-hmm. left a lot of clues that um probably lead you like show you the where the story's going or like where the path might be heading and i really like that about um this story because if you pay, really pay close attention and you kind of tend to think stuff not just read it you you i feel you get a you get a different story you kind of like a a two in one like if you read it closely you ever read a book and you read it twice again or like article and you or pick a story up on different stuff yeah 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 that's what that's what that felt yeah i, I know exactly what you mean so so summarize act one naked chicks dancing uh people think it's witches reverend paris uh is the the father of the main family and he's like the main i would say at first he seemed like the main protagonist but we, we very quickly learned out in act two that um that john proctor is the protagonist while abigail's the antagonist and maybe you could yeah. throw in uh uh reverend hale or whatever he he could be an antagonist as well because he he's kind of not a very nice man but yeah I, yeah, really everything by Act 2 was uh, very clear. It was like, this is where the story's heading. Yeah, yeah. These are the bad guys. These are the good guys. These are like, who be... They, most of the characters were, I would say, introduced in Act 2, and that's really... The story, the first two acts were really fast. The first act specifically had a lot of um, things going on in it, and then the second act was more direct about the story. Yeah, I, I'd say... Uh... The general, you know, like the general arc in a story is that you have a slow exposition, kind of like a hook. You got a fat, yeah, got a good hook, and you got a slow exposition and a, a sort of slow build up to the climax. Once you get to the climax, it's fast, and then you have a fast, fast uh, ending resolution, and then you have a fast con- or uh, 
you know, like everything after the uh, what is it? The climax is pretty fast. And yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty straight. Push, it's right? like it's like all downhill. It's a lot faster when you're going downhill. But this, but story, in this story, on the other hand, yeah, yeah, I feel like it's different. It was the opposite. That's what it felt like. I, yeah, I feel like right once you get um, to know people, once they start to show, there's true colors, which is really in Act Two, maybe a little bit in Act Three, but mm. really, really Act Two, people show their true colors, and then right after that, it, it just goes downhill, like at a Mach Five, like it's going down. What I've what I've noticed about this story, even though he spends really not much time, like you know, with the exposition, it's really the longest amount of time. You get to know what the characters truly are, their true personality, who they actually are, mm-hmm. um, what their intentions may be, and all that. In this story, even though he spent a really short time, but it felt like you really knew the characters very well, and uh, you understood their motives, their their personality, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So, uh, Act 2, uh, that, that it's based pretty much entirely in John Proctor's house. And it, right before Act Two, it gives us some, some, a little bit of information about how John's and Abigail's information, or sorry, not information, relationship went. And basically, uh, John had slept with Abigail once, and he he was okay. Like it was just like for him, it was just a mistake. But for her, she was in love with him. Yeah. And and uh, he she very quickly learns that. Uh, John's not into her anymore and he, he thought it was just a one time thing while she thinks that uh, she deserves more from him so then it starts off in uh, John's and Elizabeth Elizabeth's house and John goes on and on about how he's um, I think there, there's a quote about him saying that he's a, calling himself a stallion right? Yeah. Where he's an absolute mad lad for getting laid by some 17-year-old even though he's got a wife. You know what this reminds me of? Reminds me of this. this. Oh my god. Yeah. This is what that reminds me of. Pretty much. I mean, that's it. That's all I can say. I guess he, he had a lot of women. <laughs> yeah, dude had women. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways. <laughs> but so yeah, stallion. And then, um, uh, there's this little scene between John and Elizabeth where, um, Elizabeth is yelling about at him, and then he it, it's this little conflict, and there's another quote from him saying like he feels like he's haunted by the sins of his past. I yeah. Think. And, and it, it kind of, it kind of sets a theme for the rest of the, the play where I, where this little sin that he had. What do you think about that little sin? Be- without spoilers? Cause we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. 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 Just, just the, the general idea of, do you the, think, um, people are right or like his wife is right of accusing him and like annoying him and bringing it every time during dinner or not talking to him or being mad at him. Do you think that's worth it? Cause personally, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't saying, think yeah. it is because I mean, it, it's a big deal. Might have a problem about it. Like a first month, maybe first three months if it's that bad. But I mean, he hasn't done the thing since then. It's not like it's a one time thing. And then it was gone. People make mistakes. Sometimes they're really bad. Sometimes they aren't as bad but as long as you don't the way i think about it as long as you don't repeat the mistake over and over again you should be at least not forgiven totally but 
you know, you shouldn't be brought up every time and just ruining the mood and everything, you know what I mean? Yeah, it shouldn't it shouldn't ruin what something good you have. But I also like like people will say that I feel like it would be totally different like if this problem happened today. Yeah. If this problem happened today and there would be somebody who cheated, it's almost like especially if it's a guy cheating on a girl, oh my god. Yeah. No relationship yeah. after that. There's there's no relationship no matter what. But then a girl can cheat on a guy and just well, well, I feel like there's obviously well, there, that's a whole different subject of like bias of girls and guys and stuff. But um, yeah, but the general idea. But I would, I would just say, um, I don't know, maybe not back then. Probably back then it would be a lot more. It would be a different story, mm-hmm. but I think nowadays it just feels guys are more lenient towards that stuff. Well, do you I, think that same thing? I, I feel like girls feel like guys are hard on it, and guys feel like girls are hard on it. So I. I I think it's a touchy subject, personally, because, you know, everybody feels different about it. But, okay. But I feel like, generally, if that were to happen today, because the the idea of marriage back then was totally different. The idea of yeah. marriage. Like I mean, there, there, if you got divorced back premaritals, then. Premaritals, yeah. yeah. Divorce was not a thing back then. It really wasn't. No. Divorce was, was, like, a really... It's pretty much like, what do you call it? A scar of shame? Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like how Abigail is with the whole she's mm. she's, she's it's like oh nobody's gonna ruin my name and all that mm-hmm. at the beginning of the like Act One whenever her da- uh her dad whenever uh, Paris asked her like hey what about if your name goes around and she was like no nobody's gonna what dirty or he yeah yeah like yeah, use yeah. use her name like that yeah nobody nobody's gonna nobody's gonna shun her basically exactly. But uh, so so, Act Two starts out with that little conflict between uh, John Proctor and Elizabeth, and it really sets mm-hmm. up the rest of the play because that it, because he he starts by saying that that sin shouldn't haunt him forever to Elizabeth, but then it, it, and the rest of the play it turns out to haunt him. Yeah. So, so then um, so then the the judge comes in and starts talking to John. And, and just questioning him about the, this whole witchery I, stuff going on in the in the village that they've got, mm-hmm. and uh, it starts out pretty simple. It starts out with just simple questions, asking him if like he's he's you know if he he worships God, if he's a good person, like th- that general stuff. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, the judge brings up a question, saying, "Well, you haven't gone to church in like a couple of months." In a row. I yeah. Then, it was a then, while. It was then, really unusual. Right then. once he asked that, it really starts to pop off and it really starts to go off because the, the judge keeps on asking questions. It feels like he's attacking him, like with his questions. Like he's trying to yeah. get a feel of what the problem might be. And I think we had a question in the, the section of as, uh, Act 2 questions that Miss Miller gave us about uh, whether the setting would change the the whole scene and it really would yeah because because the, the scene was placed in john proctor's home mm, and yeah if it wasn't in that, his home i feel like he wouldn't have had the confidence to talk down yeah. to the judge which he does several times yeah um or there reminds me of like um if you've seen like how lions act in their lair and they're like uh they're they're a little cub they're like they're little yeah cub. instead like whenever you see them outside they're not as uh um, if you ever see nature documentaries, they, they don't seem as like 
prideful, if I would say. They're they're not showing. They they try to show themselves off as like uh, king of the jungle or whatever the you want to call it. Male. Yeah, the alpha male. But in their lair, like they have all the the women hanging around, and they, they kind of show off their power and all that stuff. So that's that's what felt with uh, Proctor. Like he him being in his place really gave him, like you said, a confidence boost and the ability to talk down to the. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is, it's interesting because like if if you're to think about it, like what if what if there this were to just happen in like like let's say a community setting let's say let's say they all had like a community bonfire I know like Puritan societies didn't have that because that'd be like sort of witch behavior but let's say that yeah. they did let's say that they had a little bonfire or like the, during the church or something yeah 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 or like yeah morning church would be a better example and let's say that this all sort of spilled out. That would, would totally change the whole scene. Yeah, I would also think they would probably went f- like they would have fought. Oh yeah, certain, like slap boxing or doing because it like them being at his house. I think definitely um, Hale was respecting that he was a stranger who was just coming visiting him to check things on, and then um, definitely um, Proctor thought that he shouldn't start fighting because he's at his. Uh, you know, if like if you own the place, you don't fight first. You try to show that you can control the situation yeah. without resulting to violence and all that. Yeah, because like I think because it shows at the end of the act where uh, where where Giles and and some of the the Putnams and the nurses come in and, and like sort of like people from the village start like spilling in here and there, and it shows at the end of the act, like right after Hale and Proctor had their little little chat. Where Proctor, or not, sorry, not Proctor, where, where Hale keeps on uh, accusing Proctor of being, he doesn't directly accuse him of his wife being a witch, but he, he kind of, he definitely slips it under saying like, that apparently like she, she had the, the doll she had made in, yeah. while she was in the jury and then she had the needle and then apparently Abigail had a needle in her stomach, which from there, like that, that's when Proctor really pops off. But, um, mm. I mean, he, he's kind of attacking his wife, and definitely, I don't think Proctor really would is. accept that. Yeah, he, he's yeah. a classic man, yeah. And then, and then, but like right after that scene is what I'm saying is like when people start to spill in. But like, just imagine if those people were already there listening to the whole conversation. Everybody would have a different opinion, and it would already like that. That that would have started Act Three right then and there. Like there would only have been three acts if that if the whole setting was changed, because yeah. then then the whole story would have been like ten times faster. Which, in my opinion, mm-hmm. the story's already fast enough, but, you know. Yeah, a lot of things are happening at the... Really, it feels like, um... It has a timeline, but it feels like you're jumping back and forth. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's fast. It's fast-paced. It's hard yeah. to, like... It feels like right once you're catching, catching up, there's, like, a new thing. Yeah, and then they go, like, back... Kind of, like, backstory about it, and then you jump back to the present and then you just keep going back and forth okay well i mean that that's basically act two right right there. yeah that was yeah, th- uh, nothing else happened um I, that that's that's pretty much it really basically the the whole idea of witchery and people accusing each other has spilled out and the whole town is ready for the next day where you know everybody's gonna start getting judged yeah if you want to talk uh like they came and like with a warrant and they got everything like yeah. they got his wife and they got Giles and 
yeah. Francis's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those are expected. So, act that's pretty much three it. is when everybody starts getting judged. Well, that's what, that's the court one. That is the court one. And it, it starts off with, um, I think Proctor, right? Proctor's getting judged. And uh, they're at the, they, the, what is it? The judge is Well, they entered days. with a, yeah, they, they thought they have evidence that show after like um, the end of Act 2 where Proctor had a hold of uh, Warren. Mm-hmm. Um, not Warren. Um, the maid at their house and then she admitted she actually put the doll because of Abigail's orders. Things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess that, that was a... You kind of saw that coming. Like... You might think like, oh, why would, um, because the whole story introduces you that don't judge a book by its cover and it shows you, tells you that Elizabeth is a really nice woman and all that. But then you hear about the doll thing. So you kind of start doubting like, mm-hmm. wait, is she really like that nice? Or did she actually hate Abigail? But then I guess that was the only thing about the story that stayed consistent or I had a clear, I clear beginning. Some, uh, yeah, I know what you mean though. Like, I, I mean... There are some themes that are like they're thrown here and there, but they're not consistent. But like that—that's a general theme. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. But basically, starts off with uh, John Proctor being judged for his whole sort of seeing if he's a witch and seeing if he's guilty, and that basically the judge prize him uh, with a ton of questions, and they most of them really don't lead anywhere. Because John mm-hmm. can basically say that there's not really much evidence, and there's a really good quote where where he was saying that um that it's stupid that uh, the people who accuse other people are innocent, and that really applies to like the whole McCarthy trials and a lot of the other themes yeah. in a lot of other books written at this time. We'll get to that later, but um, he, that's a really good quote that he he has, but uh. Then he basically gets pride of all this, these questions. They don't really go anywhere. But what really happens, uh, what the really important part is that where he gets pride about Abigail and Elizabeth, and he basically spills the tea that he had had an affair with Abigail and that he, he doesn't love her or anything, but he had an affair with her. And then that, that. I mean, it was a, an accident. Yeah, yeah, you know? it was an accident. Because I guess, I guess it was a really bad timing, and then just things fell apart, and it was like, whoop. somehow she was naked, somehow he was naked too, and it just happened, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah so, so that sets up the rest of the act, because the whole idea why this, this whole conflict really became really bad is because right after he's done being questioned, he's put in the court and he has to be completely silent and then elizabeth is questioned and um she uh basically says that john yeah did not have an affair with abigail which shows that she's a liar or he's a liar or they're both liars is really the conclusion that they came to and Mm -hmm. um and that that really just sets up act four and like everybody you know yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, it it was 
like it was a really tragic moment. It really was. Yeah, like especially after knowing Elizabeth and how nice and innocent she was for her, like to be put into this sort of situation. It, I kind of felt I felt more sad to her more than let's say anybody else. Yeah, no, no, no. I felt bad for her for a moment. Bad for her for the whole from the whole beginning. Because she feels like she was the victim of everything in that story. Well, she really was. She was the victim of her husband having an affair. And then when she finally, I don't, I wouldn't say she come to terms with her husband having an affair, but like she, mm. she right once she was like, I guess, I guess we could say like less or more forgiving. Like when she started to like forgive him a little bit, uh, they went to court about it and then she lied for him. And then she, she did want, she, yeah. It still ends up with a bad ending, like even though that she's like, she, she's put in like a pop, an impossible situation. I mean, even I mean earlier, yeah, they even uh, said she was pregnant, which was that that was a big shocker because I don't know, it didn't seem, it felt weird, it felt out of context, but I guess that was the whole point of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, we can't, we have to delay the thing until we figure out the situation. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, that was basically Act 2. Like, some other people got accused, but uh, most yeah. of the people... Giles and... People. Yeah, yeah, Giles and his his little... Uh, him getting accused because apparently he sold some person a pig, and then the pig was bad. <laughs> the pig had a disease. Which really just sets up the theme of, like, the whole... If you accuse someone, then you're right. Idea. Yeah, it, it's like a doesn't feel very organized. Doesn't feel like an organized society. Just like, oh, I, I kind of shotgun whenever you're trying to ride into the passenger seat in the car. Mm-hmm. So it's then, not as organized. It's like first come, first serve. Yeah, yeah. So then Act Three ends in. Uh, John being accused and put away, and then some other oh boy, people being put away. John Proctor, and it basically sets up this whole dynamic of if you were honest and you were if you were actually truthful to what your situation was, then you get put in jail. So, <laughs> and, and yeah, that, but that if he was well, and, technically, if he was honest from the first place and everybody knew about it, it might be shameful. Probably just for the beginning or for the whole time, but none of this. Or would you like to talk about that at the end? Like I, after no, 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 no. But like I kind of like I know what you mean. Like if maybe if he was truthful at the beginning, then maybe things would have been different. Yeah. Uh, Can we spoil the story now, or would you like to leave it after Act no, Four? I, about I, who? Well, I mean, I, well, yeah, we'll leave it towards Act Four. But like, okay. like I even if I feel like he was truthful towards the beginning, and if he had spilled the tea faster, I feel like Abigail. Like, we, we talked about how Abigail earlier was, like, this manipulative person who had, sort of had this evil plot, right? Mm. So I feel like even if he spilled it earlier, it would have kind of just made this all spill out fast. Yeah. It was, I, like, I mean, I, she's I, a teenager. People would have probably assumed, like, oh, she really wants to date him so bad, but he's married. Which I don't see the problem. I mean, he can marry both of them. It was you know? different back then. I think that's the I problem. Mean, what do you call it? Polygamy? You know, could have, could have, could have, uh, <laughs> ditched the whole thing. <laughs> Went to Pennsylvania with the Quakers' freedom plan. <laughs> Just free, can do whatever you want. Well, you know, you know, all sense. that, all that was like 
literally the worst thing you could have ever done back then. <laughs> so that wouldn't have passed. But I don't know. But yeah, it. Th- I guess if he actually told the truth and admitted and all that, even though it could have been bad I at the beginning, like it but it probably would uh, avoided. Yeah, maybe. It, it would avoid like doing a lot of the bad stuff, like leading him to conf- like confess and then just like stir up problems and troubles throughout the whole city. It could have been just like their uh, own little tiny space area, whatever they have problems. You just get either over it or just don't have don't talk to each other anymore but everybody else will be fine maybe you know i don't know i feel i feel like i generally i feel like the paranoia of people back then was so much that it would have ended the same way and also since abigail was so manipulative and such like a i wouldn't say evil person but like you know like she she had she had such bad intentions from the beginning that that I feel like it would have generally ended the same way with the accuser winning over the over the innocent, really. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. But Act Three ends with Proctor and all the truthful people getting put into jail, and that's yep. Act Three. That was pretty much it. Act Three was pretty, really short. It was just. That's really the conflict, though. Like, I mean, well, yeah, you, you could say that the conflict was either there or in Act Four, and Act Four is pretty simple. Where um, it comes out with um, with generally just all the truthful people getting hung, and yep. um, Giles dies to a rock, and mm-hmm. where's that late Act Three? It could have been either. But, um, I think that was Act 4. But, yeah, basically, uh, Act 4 was kind of not, not anticlimactic. I think it had plenty of climax, but, um, it, it kind of just, it, it kind of left you like, well, <laughs> life sucks. <laughs> it kind of just, like, just left you yeah. Like, yeah. Like, with a really, it's... like, bad taste in your mouth, I guess. Yeah, things not always end pretty well for everybody. It was a bad ending, and almost all stories have good endings nowadays. Yeah, I think they're trying to sugarcoat it, but I didn't... I don't know. It felt... I am not. wasn't looking for a good ending. I actually prefer... Sound, sounds horrible, but I prefer the bad... Like, uh, a dark ending better it's than... because the bad ending is unpredictable. That's why you prefer... Yeah, the bad I, I know they you're... always try... Like, they build up the whole story. It can be really well, and then at the end, it's just like... One of the stories that is a good example of that is Remy and Juliet. The ending was, in my opinion, was so, like, underwhelming. Mm-hmm. If you know. Yeah, it, it didn't feel right. Like, the whole story, the story in general was, I mean, it's pretty good. It's, it's Shakespeare. His yeah. worst is, like, somebody's best. But if you compare it to his other works, his other works feel, like, really much more in-depth and, like, a lot more consistent. Because the ending in Remy and Juliet was really underwhelming. It felt like, oh... She didn't know he was sleeping, and then things just fell apart right away. Yeah. But if you compare it to Macbeth, Macbeth was really. Have you have you don't have you read Macbeth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The story there was really interesting. I mean, from the beginning, it was very consistent, a lot of action, and then just carries on throughout the whole story. And the ending was great too. Yeah, I but mean, in this story, compare, maybe, uh, I remember a lot of people because we we read Shakespeare right around the time we read uh, Poe. And Poe's mm-hmm. works are like 
really, really deep, and like they have a different understanding than Shakespeare's works. And, it, and it, like Poe's uh, work is also reminds me like back to the whenever like every time you read it, you get a different meaning or different perspective. Especially the Raven, bro. The Raven yeah. is a whole different feel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I like that style of writing, which was a really big part of this book for, at the beginning. But I would say my only complaint is just the ending. It was... It was anticlimactic. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if that what he was going for. He just wanted to end it like that, or if it just... I think that, I know, that just is happened. what he was going for, because yeah, we, we'll go to the McCarthy trials later, but like it's like it's like this basic idea where the good gets the bad and the bad gets the good and, and it's just i i think that's what the ending was supposed to leave you with it was supposed to leave you with like this this sort of this bad bitter taste, taste. yeah th- this idea that like like you want to root for the good guy you want to you want to root for the guy who is actually truthful and the guy who in this case john proctor who yeah who is actually like sticking to his morals unlike other people and then he, it turns out that he gets the bad end of everything you and said this before the podcast began you said like he can see him through their like um through people's bs yeah gets you through their true intentions or what they tried to sh- to display and then he can actually read them and yeah, understand it, it's like trying. that quote that the i forgot what it says exactly but it's like he, he's talking about abigail and it's either late act two or early act three when he says it. And he, he says something about how, like, no, it's late act two when he's talking to the judge saying that it's ridiculous how the even the accuser is automatically innocent. Wow. Yeah. The, the, the perfectly innocent seeming seemingly people are the ones getting put into the jury and they're the ones being judged. And it, it, it's stupid. Yeah. Um, who would you think John Proctor represent in this story? Well, I mean, um, we, we made a relation earlier. I mean, since we're done talking about that, so, given the summary, basically, um, good people die. <laughs> good people. <laughs> so John Proctor would be like a physical, I guess, of the good people and Abigail, would you say, the bad, the bad guys in the story? Yes, easily. It felt John Proctor... Um, was like the reader at some cases like he was the reader like some questions or um he asked the same questions or had the same feelings as what the reader might have had or in that case i guess the audience if it was they were watching the play that's how most of the time that's how i felt mm-hmm. but john proctor was about it could be because i was doing the rolling class yeah. Or, I'm not very sure, no, but I think, I think I know that that's what I got. He was more knowing than most people were in the play. Therefore, he could seem like the reader. Mm. He, he knew more than... Or, like, it seemed like he knew more because he was the only one who stuck by his morals while most people were just accusing others because they knew that that's what would keep them safe. Yeah. So, I, I know what you mean. Like, why he, he... John Proctor could seem like he's the reader or the omniscient uh narrator just because of yeah. the fact that he he was all knowing it felt like he he knew that even though he had a bad outcome yeah especially at the end of morals. uh act 4 remember you talking about um how his morals and all that whenever he wrote the testimony and that he just stored a part in front of him 
just because how he, you know, didn't want people. I thought that was a that was a great representation of his morals and how he stuck to them even in the worst situation. Yeah. I mean, overall, I, I think it was a generally good play, even though even though it felt ending was a little underwhelming. It, it the underwhelming ending was a part of it, you know. Probably believes you that. Like we said earlier, the bitter taste. Because I, mean, I, I think that's how the along. author felt. I think that's how he felt about the whole McCarthy trials at the time. And this whole idea that... Because the... Oh, we haven't talked about it yet, but the McCarthy trials... Yeah, I mean, he was himself interrogated because, because of that. I mean... Yeah, celebrities and rich people, popular people. Uh, basically, if you're a significant person in society... You were interrogated to see if you're a communist in the U.S. because the U.S. was extremely paranoid about communism due to the Cold War, and uh, it basically it, it it sort of led to this whole sort of Salem witch trials flashback because everybody was paranoid and it was yeah. it, it led to that same idea again where if you're the accuser then you're innocent. Because it, it, in the trials, they would um, they would prosecute someone, and then as long as they gave out names of other people, then they would be safe. And it was really backwards. Yeah. I mean, whenever the girls started naming things, it was like just a bunch of lies. But because they were naming people, they were like the accusers, so they were innocent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, just it, like Because that. Abigail was innocent the whole time, and she, she didn't get a bad fate. But it was just yeah. because of the fact that she was accusing other people. Mm-hmm. And it, it led to that whole theme that, like, if you, if you stick to your morals, then you might not get the good outcome, but you'll, you'll get a true outcome, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally does. What else um, would you like to cover? I mean... Relating, like, towards the ending, before we... Go to the next part of the podcast. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I covered everything I want to. It, the, the the general themes I think we got. And, um, the okay. McCarthy trials. But... Would you like to talk about the similarities to other books? Yeah. Um, okay. I would. Uh-huh. Uh, we, we read, back in middle school, we read Animal Farm. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I I really like Animal Farm personally. Mm-hmm. I like uh I like Time Machine and all that. Those were I like the writing style. H. G. Wells. I love his I I like how dark and gloomy it is, if I may say. Yeah. It feels very very true to life and I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of like rainbows and all that. It doesn't feel Happy authentic. Yeah, I'm, I don't like fairy tales. Uh, it doesn't feel authentic, and authentic stuff kind of gets me, and that's how I felt about Animal Farm. Um, some of the similar, some of the similarities that I've noticed. Um, ooh, uh, <laughs> crack a cold one, homie. Um, ginger ale. Uh, well, I felt um, both of them showed how politics is really stronger than the ordinary people. Being said, the accuser is better than the innocent, and the same thing in Animal Farm. Really, politics drove and let people. They both show us 
um, well, they both show the us and them mentality where like you group them like the people and the witches or like the animals and like humans, the bad people. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they separated them. They stri- That way it feels like um, they keep kind of growing that seed of hatred between them. Yeah. If you ever look, uh, a good example of this is like internet groups. If you ever see like, um, it could be politics too, like Democrats and Republicans or um, like really internet groups about any topic. You usually see Democrats and Democrats talking about how Republicans are bad. You see Republicans or Republicans talking about how Democrats are bad. They never interact between each other. They just keep um, strengthening the idea. And I think that's why they usually don't get into a conversation or an actual um, helpful debate that gets kind of the benefits Mm -hmm. both parties. Same thing like on the internet. It's really visible on the internet if you go like on Twitter or like Reddit, especially it's faceless. People say whatever they want. They're not going to be judged. It's not going to be like something that's like, what do you call it? Tattooed on their face or like written on their forehead. Mm -hmm. Um, they also, they both, I know exactly what you mean with the whole, um, yeah. Internet thing, especially like, I feel like, I feel like it's blown up to an extent that it really shouldn't be because as a society, obviously you're not going to be progressive if you're constantly firing at each other. And if you're constantly, if you're hard headed and you're just like, I have my opinion and yours is wrong. And you, that that gets you nowhere. You're especially right. A very topical one is with like conservatives, liberals, Democrats, Republicans. Exactly. And yeah, they, they don't work together and that just makes everybody worse off nobody benefits and then it just if you do nothing action about it the country would just keep going down but i've realized i've realized that's like at least rational people like i I like to think i'm a rational person and Mm -hmm. my uncle for example i'm i'm technically conservative so i lean more towards the republican sort of more capitalist more more free ideas Mm -hmm. and then my uncle, he's a liberal, meaning that he he's more of like the democratic sort of, like let's uh, let's have more like free health care and those sort of ideas, uh-huh. sort of. And him and I had some conversations and stuff, and we actually had like some we agreed on a lot of things, which was in yeah, my opinion, I mean, it was weird because it's like you think that you would be completely opposite, but it's like people in real life interact completely differently than on the exactly, internet. really politics would have. I'm in, I'm into politics, not too much, but I'm into it. I like to know what's going around around me to form my own personal opinion about mm-hmm. topics. Some of the opinions I have could be like more conservative side, and others are like way liberal. I I would say I'm in the middle, or could be jumping both ends if you, if you want to say call me that. Yeah. Um. But really, the point of the groups, whenever you seclude yourself with your own group on either like Facebook, Twitter, or Reddit, or whatever website, YouTube comment section, um, <laughs> really, you can see a lot of weird stuff, And but if you ever have an interaction with, like you said, like you and your uncle, it's totally different. You agree on a lot of stuff, yeah. and then you tend to have like a, a healthy conversation that maybe just either makes the bond between you guys better or maybe you get into like a, a resolution or like an answer to the question yeah, or maybe yeah, a solution to a saying. big like, problem. Yeah, like we, we came to like one of the ones we talked about was gun laws. And hmm. generally generally conservatives has the, have the idea that gun laws should be lenient and liberals have the idea that gun laws should be strict. But him and I both talked I, about it and we came I mean, Yeah, to that's the a stereotype. That. That's how they like to classify themselves, which is... Yeah, and we just came to a conclusion that, like, 
definitely some things should be illegal, but the things that are being banned by most people today, or like the the idea that like most people have like AR-15 should be banned, was like Kevin and I both agreed like no that's not true because it's not AR-15s like because there's so many other guns that are just like AR-15s that people don't care about, and. And I mean, you really, you definitely don't want a machine gun to be legal, but at the same time, you probably want, I guess, a handgun to protect your house, your property, or maybe yeah. if you like, or I mean, really, we, if you we, like we hunting, you maybe own a shotgun ground. here and there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Middle ground. That's what happens when you kind of be involved in a healthy conversation, unlike like us and them mentality. Like what happened with the, if they actually heard uh, in the trials good things about it. Really, half of the stuff even would happen. Honestly, it would have been a good thing at well, the beginning, the but from, from the trials would have been good view, too. From their point of view, there's no such thing as a good witch. There's no, there's no such thing as middle ground. Good. And that, that, that's why I feel like that play was a good highlight of it because it, it's like the communism, capitalism. I feel like, I feel like the more you can go down the line, and it just gets more drastic every time. Like, like you start with witches and non-witches, then you go to communism and capitalism, then you go to conservatives and liberals. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. This Even the story really pretty much the same. They they look, yep. they seem like they're completely different. It's it's really weird. Yeah. Um also more shared features between the stories. I would say they include um manipulation or the use of manipulation and deceit. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, as a way to like to get what they want, like how Abigail started crying or with the voodoo doll and stuck the needle and told the maid to put it in her things, you know. Yeah. Um, that's how also politics sometimes may be, really. It's, this story really has a lot of real-life examples, which I really like because it, it sheds a light on a problem or introduces a problem that you otherwise, some people might not like to argue about, but um, introduces it as a different way. It kind of sugarcoats it, then it, you bite into the cookie and then it's like, oh... Yeah, this is what it really is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's especially similar to Animal Farm because um, Animal Farm was more closely related to communism than this was because like because mm-hmm. the Crucible is kind of like a little bit of a it's a far repre- it's an indirect representation of the McCarthy trials while the um while the Animal Farm was a direct representation of how. Not communism, but dictatorship really worked. And politics, really. And I feel Animal Farm is really a politics book. Yeah, much. yeah, yeah. It, it's much more like direct than the yep. Crucible is. And that's why I like um, George Orwell's writing. It's like you said, it's exactly direct. It gets straight to the point, and you deal with it. It's real life. Yeah, exactly. You know? and and it's really similar to Animal Farm with with the realization that. In that story, it's the pigs. In this story, it's Abigail. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea that once they realize how much power they really have, they abuse it. It's, they, exactly. They, they abuse it to a point where there, there's not really any going back until it's a complete failure. I mean, the system is really... It's corrupt. It's kind of like a game. After like you find a bug in a game and you use it and just... The game becomes like it not fun. The whole game, yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, that's really what happens with the cheating. But some people really benefit from it at the beginning and just try to abuse it. Yeah. Um, so aside from another like the main theme that they they both share is the power corruption. Yep, power and like misuse of power and corruption and all that. Yeah, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about? I mean, this is you now. What do you think about Fahrenheit four fifty one? Well. 
I don't, I don't, have you read it? Or, like, do you have any idea um, what it is? I, I have an idea what it is. I haven't read the whole book. I've read the first part of it, but I've seen summaries and video essays and things like that about yeah. it. I mean, we did a lot on it in English, too. Like, not on that book, but this idea of, like, a, a perfect society where mm -hmm. nobody, nobody can criticize anybody and everybody's perfect and everybody's fine. Mm -hmm. But in uh, Fahrenheit 451, it's like they, they constantly show that they'll show the news and there's this whole there's this whole section of I, I think it was like ballet or dancers on TV and it was called like a radio box or something in that in that book. Yep. But it's this basic idea that like they showed all these dancers on TV and there was there's some really bad ones that, that could barely even dance while there were mm -hmm. really good ones, but the really good ones were limited by like weights. Like they would put, they would put weights on the really good ones. That way it was harder for them to dance. And then mm -hmm. they would, they would not do anything and they would, they would purposely try to make the really bad ones look really good. So what yep. would happen was that like it would all kind of sort of just equal out and then there, there's this realization between the the protagonist guy and his wife and uh -huh. he, he said that he basically said that it's kind of ridiculous that they do that and then his, his wife said well it's only fair and then he was like well no it's not only fair it's it's have you fair to the ones that are good at it yeah and and it sort of just creates this this sort of th that idea of corruptness again this this idea that that um that the there needs to be equalness between everybody and that it, it really just puts an imbalance on the people who are good if that makes sense that that definitely makes sense have you ever read uh, harrison Ber bergeron bergeron i've heard of it but i don't know if i've read it. it it it's exactly what you're talking about it's um well, it's sometime in the future, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's like the year two, like this story was written, um, if I'm not mistaken, 1960s, early 1960s. And then the story goes like in the year 2000, like 80 something, something. Yeah. Like they added the amendment to 13, to 11, to whatever. It's like some sometime really in the future. And that says um, old people are equal. It's like you're not allowed to be smarter than one another. You can't be better looking than one another. Um, and then if you're like better than anybody, let's say if you're really fast, they put more weights onto you, so you're equal with like slower people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that reminds me more of Fahrenheit 51. Yep. And then if you're like, uh, if, so like the bell, there was I believe also ballet dancers or something. And then one of them was really beautiful, but they they like put masks on you, and that makes you look ugly, like a clown nose or something mm -hmm. like that, just to make you look worse. If you're really strong, they just put weights and lock you down. I, I think that's really similar to Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah. I, th that reminds me of this little bit in it where it was talking about this really attractive guy in the neighborhood where they, uh -huh. they put a, an ugly mask and stuff on him to make to balance him out. And it's like, I think that's the same story. Yeah, probably it's the same one we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, he wrote a lot of stuff. He wrote a lot of stuff yep. really similar to his book. So, really, a lot of utopian stories have the same style like this. They're, it's just and a they're all written around this time. They're all written yeah. in the sixties, fifties. I don't, I'm not sure. 
but you see a lot of utopian stories like uh, could be mistaken but i haven't seen a lot of utopian stories that were written like the 2000s i mean we're 20 years in but i haven't heard about a really popular one so far well, could be one popular 100 years from now but i'm not sure it's because a lot of the talk topical back then it, it's what yeah it's what it's how the writers felt they felt that um politics and the government then was pushing towards that and they, they were mm-hmm, pushing definitely. towards this idea of perfectness but this perfectness was actually more corrupt than what they have currently have you ever um um not brave have you read brave new world that's another uh, dystopian book, and then there was another one in 1984. It's, it's a, uh, I'd say it's probably my number one favorite book. It's about a dystopia, slash like Big Brother is always watching you, huge gigantic screens that judge you. It's it's also about talking about utopian slash dystopian future, and I really like that style of books. I like uh. And probably 1984 is my favorite book of all time. It's in a lot of people's opinions, it's really dark. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a lot of people don't like this whole like a lot of people wouldn't read this for leisure because of the whole idea that they they don't have good endings. Like we talked about that before. Like they 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 definitely don't. Like um, Fahrenheit 451 ends up with guy getting caught by like the ton of the police or the wolf in that that hmm. uh, story which is like it's basically like this whole it's basically the, like the police there but you know it's like a it's utopian police that's different but why do you think people don't like it do you think where, where did you think that comes from because it i mean this happened with star wars the new stars that came out i still haven't seen it but i heard i'm that. not into star wars i, I mean i, I am well, but i haven't seen it just because I, okay. I know, i'm busy but um <laughs> but it basically i heard reviews that were like really bad about it and i heard re- reviews that were really good about it but it's like people didn't know what was going to happen with it so and i ended up getting bad reviews and i'm like well that's stupid like i kind of want a story that's unpredictable but um but what people want is a predictable happy story that's it, it and it's really ridiculous and i hate it but it's like a lot of the but i'm different personally like i watch a lot of movies that don't have t- typically gr- good endings and i don't ha- i don't watch movies or shows that have good guys or bad guys necessarily i like um i think i'm with you on the same boat i like stories that make you think yeah, or like yeah, if there's sure. like a bad guy it's better for him to have like motives and like you understand where he's coming from i feel that that gives the story a totally yeah, different yeah he's not just bad to be bad yeah, it's not like he's evil because he's evil. Like, there is an actual story. And I think Batman does a really good job. If you've seen the Joker, the Joker has a really nice background story. It's really well, weird for, like, a superhero movie, movie. That got a lot of bad reviews because people didn't... I mean, that got bad reviews because it was trying to make a statement about suicide and a lot of people were touchy on the subject. But... Well, that doesn't make sense. If you're trying to solve a problem, you need to talk about it. And I find a lot of people are not willing to talk about a problem just because it's sensitive and they think that will make it worse. But it's It totally goes back opposite. to the whole conservative and liberal thing where people are just hard-headed and it's the, it's the us versus them sort exactly, of idea. Yeah. And it really comes out in this play and all the other books we were just talking about. And it's stupid. 
It doesn't. It doesn't create any progress for anybody. Dude, and we're gonna post this on book. YouTube. We'll get a lot of backlash. <laughs> it's going to be funny, but yeah, um, uh, yeah. I mean, really, you have to face the truth sometimes, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Reality is not going to change, and it's better to um, get a grasp of what really is instead of just waiting it for you for it to hit you hard. Like, have you seen uh, Goodfellas? No. What is it about? It's basically just about this uh, little Irish kid in this one community that becomes a part of a mob and a gang. And huh. the reason why is because his family wasn't really there for him. Like, his, he would go home and his father would beat him and stuff like that. And he, he was more part of the mob than he was his own family. And, he, uh, and when he was part of the mob, he made so much money, he felt on top of the world. And that's just his, that was his way of growing up and living. Like, he, he was part of that mob since he was, like, 10. So, hmm. so like, that's a bad guy with motives, in my opinion. And, I mean, and definitely, like, he had situations that lead him to be what he is on. It's yeah. not like he was part of a mob because he thought it was fun, I guess. I actually went I mean, there because there's a part of it, but like at the same time, it was his family, is the whole idea. Like that mob, that mob that he was a part of, that gang was his family. That goes back to like us versus them. I really, people really want to group themselves. They just tend to segregate into people who have the same belief, which is. Well, yeah, even in the whole movie, because the movie was uh, made from his perspective, he was talking huh. about the police, like they were all so bad. And, like, the, the, the police aren't the best at times, but not obviously not that the mob is, but um, but it's like everybody's stuck in their own box. Nobody's willing yeah, to think exactly. outside it. So, um, what would you think about, do you have any other books or other stories or other examples you might think relate very well to the, to the um, story? I mean, I, I just think it's, it's good for, like, people to see those deeper themes because I think they relate to a lot today. But, like, those, no, those are the general books, like, because um, Fahrenheit 451 and Animal Farm were both written right around the same time, and they had a lot of themes. I feel like Animal Farm was more direct. Fahrenheit 451 was more focused on the utopian society versus just the idea of uh, corruption and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think that they were different. But they, they spread the whole idea that this political and power obsession with people is bad and it doesn't lead anybody anywhere. It doesn't it only gets good people in trouble and only gives the bad people more power. Yeah. Definitely. Which is really the I think the whole thing that uh Arthur was trying to spread. Arthur Morgan, right? Yeah, I mean that was pretty much it. I mean, is there anything else you'd like to say? Any other stories you can relate to? I really don't think there are any other stories. I think really, probably, like you said, Animal Farm was the best. Because it's really close to it, politics-wise. And then Fahrenheit was really close, too. Um, Would you like to discuss other things? Or do you have... I have a couple of questions. Do you have any questions that you might want to discuss? I mean, I, I think I've covered everything I want to, but... I mean, yeah, if you... Okay. So, since we're going through, like, a a really quarantine and lockdown and all that stuff, how would you 
do you see any similarities between it and Corona? COVID-19, coronavirus? Um, I mean, may, maybe a little bit, like, with the whole, you know, the whole reason why North Carolina called our whole situation a little bit earlier? Like, the whole reason why they were like, oh, well, we're, we're in, like, a serious situation, like, we need uh -huh. to lock down and shut down schools. The whole reason they did that is so the the national government will give them money. Which is, it's a little, that, that shows a little bit of the power corruption, but, like, but like really, our, I think our, our state does that all the time. So does everybody. everybody. I am not the biggest fan of North Carolina. A lot of things are wrong with the state. But I really think they did the good thing by calling it early, because really, you don't want it to spread. Even though they wanted to do the money, the bad action kind of led to a good result to the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, bad things, like, how does it relate to Crucible, I say? Maybe hoarding. I think hoarding really got people panicked even more, even if they weren't panicked. People hoarding and just, like, the spread of misinformation and all that, just like the Crucible oh, and yeah, accusing that, others. Uh, yeah, that's uh, a good way of putting it, the spread of I misinformation. Yeah, I think that relates a lot to the Crucible. Um, and really, misinformation in general in any situation just escalates it really quickly, just like what happened with the Crucible, and everybody just ended up dying. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like they definitely inflated some of the death percentages and stuff. Just yeah, definitely. Scared. Like, media likes to pick on so the much, topics. It changes so yeah. much, like, every day. And it's like, there's no way that this is accurate if it changes by, like... And a lot of countries day. don't report accurate numbers. Like, China is never going to report accurate numbers. A lot of countries don't have a good healthcare system. We're talking about Africa in here. Africa barely has things to do. And do you think they'll really care about the death and how many numbers died from corona versus other diseases? Yeah, or the same thing with Iraq and Iran. Every freaking year, I swear. Yeah. I mean, Iran is, def is a dictatorship. Malaria. It's, Iran is a dictatorship. They will never report the numbers. Half of all of Iran is sick, and they have like a huge, gigantic population, and all of them are sick, and they refuse to report it as coronavirus. One dude died of coronavirus. I mean, his family was talking, and then do you know, get, get, they wrote him under a heart attack. He died from a heart attack, even though he died from corona. And he's like a really old man. It, like corruption like that really makes you think. Same thing if you look at Venezuela, like how dictatorships can change um, a lot of things if you. He eliminated uh, death from poverty in kids. Do you know how he did that? By making a law that forces doctors not to write the cause of death as poverty. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous things like that that um, really makes me it, think it, the it world even is... It happens in the United States. Like uh, a very, uh, very topical, a very topical situation would be the school shootings. Yeah, exactly. That, that like CNN will change what they consider a school shooting, like every time a school shooting happens, like or like a massacre. Sorry, they'll change what they'll change the definition of a massacre every time. And, and the thing, these words are vague, which really allows them to change a lot of yeah. that stuff. They it they, they abuse time. it. They they pretty much abuse that power. Then you might think, oh, CNN is a reputable resource. That channel is so famous, as they're so known, and then. Just end up doing really. It's really just a loop. These all these yeah. general themes: the power corruption, the dictatorship, the um, the, just the these themes. They really loop each other around. Yeah. Um. 
I have two more questions. Let's go if we're done with the relating to events. Do you like the story? What do you think overall about the story? Do you like it? Or do you think it's interesting or any thoughts on it? I mean, I think it's interesting, but I think I've, since I've read porn, Fahrenheit 451 and Animal Farm, I've sort of already gotten this idea before. And okay. it's, it's a little repetitive, but like, I mean, it's a uh, public school English. So what can you expect? So definitely. So I feel like it's, it's overall a good story and the play sort of mixes it up. It, it, it gives it, it gives it a different twist, which I like. I like that we, that class was really active about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay. So I have one other question is, would you read it alone? For me personally, I definitely not. The only reason Probably I not. enjoyed the story is that we did this as a class. The class was really, our English class is really fun. I mean, the students are really as chaotic as it is. Yes, as chaotic as it is, that's what makes it fun. The students are really engaged. I mean, other cl- other I've been into like three other English classes. They're not engaged really. They just kind of unplug it and feels do like nothing. You have a voice in it. Yeah, definitely. Like when acting, people laugh if somebody did something or like a reaction. People are just like, wait a second, something confusing happened, and then it feels like we're all in the same boat and. I guess we're just going for the ride but i guess the only reason i like the story is because we did it as a class but i never i can never see myself reading it by myself mm-hmm. like you said i mean animal farm was a lot more entertaining it. for I me i would watch it but i wouldn't i'm I would definitely it. watching it yeah it, i mean it's a play i bet it's probably a lot better as to watch it. it yeah because think about it. it took us like it's not for one of the acts it took us like three or so pair or sorry no paragraphs class periods well because we weren't going as fast too though we're doing it as a play kind of just think about it that way like a class period is an hour and 30 minutes and you can maybe cut it down to like an hour and 15 because you know people are obnoxious so 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 we'll we'll we'll, we'll round it around to an even hour so it takes an act three hours to read when you could watch a two hour and a half movie to get all that same information. Like Yeah. That's how I feel about um fiction books. I prefer nonfiction just because it would be maybe you can watch a documentary about it, but reading it gives you totally a lot more information. But for nonfiction books if I feel like uh you, why read the whole ten hours spend ten hours on a book if you can watch a movie for like two hours. I do think you do get some more from reading sometimes because I I read all the Harry Potter movies before I read them, and then I guess some books are exceptions. But I generally not the biggest fan of nonfiction. My sister, my dad, my brother are really big into Harry Potter, not as much me. I used to like it when I was growing up, but I don't know. It's not my biggest thing anymore. I'm I'm really I tend to be a lot more into science and stuff. My, I mean, I'm into literature. I really like it, but I prefer um, nonfiction just because I feel it gives me more value. But I can see like like nonfiction, like fiction books as like Animal Farm to be really interesting because it has like a a background or a deeper meaning. Or as 1984. Well, a lot of books do have a deeper meaning though. Like even even stupid little fiction ones like that might just be there for a good story. They normally do have a deep, like a lot of people don't realize, like a lot of the Harry Potter books, even though the third, the, their main idea 
is behind is just like cool wizardry, right? That's what mm -hmm. you think. But a lot of them have themes too. Like a lot of them. But did you think like the themes are repetitive? No, they're not. That's the thing. Like like. They don't like comparing to other. For example, it, like a mm -hmm. lot of the people seem more angry, I guess, in it, and it, it sort of it sort of shows how you need to deal with anger, and it has this whole theme of anger in it. Versus the Chamber of Secrets was more this curious and bravery theme. It, it was sort of this theme of um, confidence, I guess you could put it. Okay, I, I can see that. I mean, Harry Potter's definitely an exception. It's probably like the top one percent, yeah, but probably like, of books or modern literature. But I find um, like Animal Farm a lot more valuable, just because it feels like um, it's more it has, direct. Exa yeah, exactly. It's more direct. It gives you. It's not that it gives you the answer. It's just it. It feels like it keeps the gears moving in my head, and I like that about activities so like a podcast or a book or a movie or anything like that i like that it keeps kind of the gears of my head moving well guys um this is a really horrible ending to the podcast because it's maybe hopefully not the last episode but i guess this is things have to come to an end this is the first episode of we don't have a name to this podcast yet, but hopefully we'll have one by next episode if we want to talk about another subject or whatever, because this was totally a lot of fun, and it's really like we conversation. It's always useful. Maybe we don't agree on something, but it's always great to have a new perspective on things or new glasses or new lenses to view the world with, and I feel The Crucible really gives you some of that, um, but yeah, I guess that's it.